Last week, we started uh, looking at the matter of gifts and what were the ones, uh, what were the one, and if you're new tonight, I see a new face. We've been talking about the doctrine of the church, and last week, this week, getting into just very practical things how the church functions, how God uses us uh, in the operation of the church. And so we see, we started talking last week on the subject of gifts. We'll continue that tonight. And then we'll get into also talking about this evening uh, the ministry that we have to the world, the commission. So we talked about some more technical matters up front the first three or four weeks, the ordinances of the church and the different denominations and how they viewed them and uh, what different theologians have said about the church at certain points. Um, We've kind of moved out of that, turned the corner, and just getting into some real practical issues related to the operation. So we saw last week that as far as gifts, there is the apostle, right, and prophet. And what, what did I say about those two? I'm just going to catch this door because people will be going up and down this hallway probably before we get out. They'll be disturbing us. Okay, uh, not, not by the pure definition, right? Because an apostle had to be someone who had been in and around Jerusalem, a witness to the events of Jesus' death and resurrection, Right? Uh, Paul, Paul and the Lord's half-brothers like James, they qualify, even though they weren't believers at the time. They, because they were there, they were witnesses. And then after Jesus' resurrection, he did, in fact, appear to them, both the Apostle Paul and his half-brother James. And that, that's why they're able to be classified as apostles. But in the pure sense of the word, the definition of, of an apostle, there's none today. So if you're driving through a little country town on the way to the beach and on the church sign, the, it says their pastor is the Reverend Dr. Apostle Jimmy Stewart. <laughs> you know, I, I'm serious. I'll ride through little towns and I'll see something like that on church signs. No, I'm sorry. He's not an apostle. Okay? Prophet in the purest sense. Again, they they were men, Old and New Testament, who would receive revelations from God that became the 66 books of the Bible that we have. God used the prophets, the apostles and prophets, in giving his word. So today, the gift of prophecy is more in the sense of not foretelling, but forthtelling, proclaiming that which is written, not giving new revelations. And then we said last week, uh, what was the other one? Evangelist. He's given evangelist. Uh, We are all to be witnesses. All of us are to be witnesses. But there are those that seem especially gifted uh, to be soul winners. 
Uh, you know, I would think of the D.L. Moody's, the Billy Graham's, people like that. And folks, I can't emphasize enough, just because there is an office of the evangelist that does not get the rest of us off the hook of being a witness. Because again, we all have that responsibility. And then, pastor, teacher. And this is the list I mentioned that's in Ephesians 4, 11 and following. Actually, I think it's 8 and following. But he, he actually gets into these in verse 11. So those are the ones we looked at last week. Uh, what I want us to do tonight, we don't have time to spend a great, a great deal of time in each gift, but it's generally believed that, you know, probably one of the, one of the major lists in the New Testament is that found in Romans chapter 3. We're going to talk about some of the other gifts tonight. Now, I want you to, I want you to think about what Paul is doing here in Romans 3 and following because oftentimes we disconnect 3 and following with what has just happened in verses 1 and 2 and we make a huge mistake what has he just said in verses 1 and 2 he says we are to we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, uh, holy and acceptable to the Lord, which is your reasonable act of worship, he says. That's verse 1. Then in verse 2, he says we're not to be conformed to the world. We're to be uh, renewed in our minds. So he says, make sure you're, you're, you're giving yourself that, that living sacrifice to the Lord you're refusing to be conformed to the world. You do both of these things. And he says at the end of verse 2 that we will be able, after we present our bodies a living sacrifice, refuse to be conformed to the world, after we've done that, we will be able to prove out what the will of the Lord is. A lot of times people want to know the will of the Lord without presenting themselves as a living sacrifice without refusing to compromise to the world. But they want to know the will of God anyway. According to Romans 12, 1 and 2, you know the will of God only as you do those first two things. Okay? But then, where I'm saying we, we miss the boat so oftentimes, what does he get into in verse 3? He's just talked about making yourself a living sacrifice What's the next thing he starts saying? Well, let's just read it together. He says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you, just as each one of us has one body and many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. 
If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If, if it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Okay? So think about this discussion of gifts. Now, go back and answer that question again. How would this tie in with verse 1? Okay, the, the gift God's given you, acting on that, okay. Uh, Chuck, you're, you're on the right avenue. Because folks, if I am living out my spiritual gift in the body of Christ, isn't that a very practical aspect by which I'm offering my body as a living sacrifice? You see, we say, offer your body a living sacrifice. What does that mean? It seems so nebulous. So then he, he tells us in plain black and white what that's going to look like in the church family. Exactly. Amen, brother. Amen. Preach it. Preach it. <laughs> but you see what I'm saying? By exercising your spiritual gift in the body is a very plain and practical way that you're doing what he's just commanded you to do in verse 1. You, you're looking at me with blank looks. Do you not see where I'm going with that? We're being told in verse 1 to yield ourselves to the Lord as a living sacrifice. What's that going to look like in your life? One way that it's going to look like in your life, if teaching is your gift, teach. You're being a living sacrifice. If giving is your gift, give. By, by doing your gift in the body of Christ, that is a way that you are are being a living sacrifice because you're living out your gift. Hmm. Right? Well, and, and it does include that because the gifts are for the body. Our, our spiritual gift is not just for us. It benefits everybody else. You know, by us living out our gift we're building up the body but at the same time by living out our gift we're demonstrating that we are doing what he just said in verse 1 in verse 1 he said therefore I urge you brothers in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice so living, living out your spiritual gift, you're offering your body as a living sacrifice, and you're building up Christ's body too. 
Exactly. It's an act of worship. Yes. Rendered unto the Lord. Good. Yes. Absolutely. Exactly. And if you're conformed to the world, what would the world be telling you anyway? Just spend your time just looking after yourself. Doing what you want to do with your time and talents. If we were conforming to the world, that's how we would be living. Just doing what we want to do. But if we're living out our gifts, we're refusing to go by that standard of just looking out for ourselves. We're thinking about others. We're thinking about the Lord. So what I'm saying is don't disconnect verses 3 and following from verses 1 and 2. Because verses 3 and following is a very practical way by which we can live out verses 1 and 2. And notice that he says too, what, something about the proportion of faith, right? He says, uh, well, even before that, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith that God has given you. With the measure of faith. Some translations say, in proportion to our faith. In proportion to our faith. Each and every one is a gifted child. Uh, There are no superstars. We all have a part to play. Each gift is needed. Uh, All gifts are not the same gift, but all gifts are needed. All gifts are needed. We saw last week that some of the gifts that people put on the back burner because they're not as visible, some of those gifts may be gifts that the church needs the most. Some of those people that are doing things behind the scenes, that it's, it's not a public gift they're doing. They're never going to get attention for that. But their gift is very needed uh, for the body. And so every person is a vital part of the whole. Well, with that being the case, he says beginning in verse 6 that there is to be a cooperation, faithful cooperation. Uh, and we are to use our gifts. We are to use our gifts. Let all church members use their gifts for the good of the body. Now he's going to mention seven of them here. And before we get into those seven, if you say, I don't know what mine is. First of all, as I said last week, pray. Ask God. Ask God to show you what your spiritual gift is. Because we know it is the will of God that we live out our spiritual gifts. And the Bible says when we're praying and asking things according to the will of God, God will show us. So if it's His will that I know my gift and I use my gift, if I pray to God to show me my gift, I think He's going to show me. 
because that is a prayer honoring to Him. If we go praying selfishly, we have no confidence in the Scripture that we're going to have the request we ask of God. But if we're praying for things that are pleasing to God, we can count on the fact that God's going to show us. So if you don't know what your spiritual gift is, pray and ask God. Then, I mentioned last week, study the gifts. Be informed about each one. Then, you know, be alert. What do you enjoy doing? What do you have passions doing? What really lights your wood, so to speak? You know, what really gets your fire going? And then, you know, along with your passion, what you enjoy doing, what do people affirm in you? You know, maybe you've never taught a Sunday school lesson before. You teach a Sunday school lesson. Your class comes up to you afterwards and they say, wow, you're really gifted at that. You need to be doing that more. You know, pay attention to to how other members of God's family are affirming you in certain ways. So all of that, study the gifts, study what Scripture says about them, pray and ask God, think about your passions, what, what really uh, gets you fired up, and, and then be listening to what others say. Well, with all of that said, uh, in Romans, what does he mention again? Because I mentioned last week too in, in, uh, in Ephesians 4, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, 14, and 1 Peter 4, 10. If you look at all those parallel passages together about spiritual gifts, you're going to come up with probably about 19 different gifts. It's not believed that those 19 are exhaustive. Uh, those 19 are pretty good representative of what's needed in the churches. Uh, but it, it's generally not believed. It's an exhaustive list. And in any of these passages, in any one passage, we certainly don't have an exhaustive list. But with that said, what does he mention in, in Romans chapter 12? He mentions... Prophecy, speaking the word of God, uh, foretelling what God has written, right? Before the canon of scripture, before the closed canon in the early church, God would have been giving people that gift to proclaim messages, again, that were going to be written down. When Paul wrote this letter, the New Testament was not complete. There were those God was revealing messages to that was going to become the written canon of Scripture. So he mentions prophecy. Then he mentions service. Now, I just bet you this one right here in our church, there would be a lot of people that would probably say, Aha, that's my gift. Sometimes along with service, you'll see the word with it, helps. Helps or service. 
What is this referring to? Ministry. Ministry. By the way, the word service, diakonos, is the word. What, what do we get from diakonos? Deacon. A deacon is a servant to the church. And in the New Testament, you have the office of deacon. Pastors and deacons, qualifications are given in 1 Timothy 3 for pastors and deacons. You have the office of deacon. But then you also have diakonos in in a non-technical sense in the New Testament. Just anybody with the gift of service. Meaning that anybody... Whether they're officially a deacon or not, they may have the gift of being a diakonos, a servant. Now, if this is your gift, what, what would it look like? It, it would look like doing things that touch people's lives just, just to help them in practical ways. Maybe going over and fixing a widow's door of her house that is broken. Uh, Next week it might mean helping out around the church with the building and grounds committee. Uh, Another week it might be going by a young woman going by a new mom's home. A first time mom and helping her out after she gets home with her baby. Just the the hands-on type stuff. The real practical hands-on type stuff. If that's what you're passionate about in the church, you probably have the gift of service. Service or helps. Now, if you have the gift of service or helps... Attitude also plays into it, right? Oh, I got to go with Brother George over to see widow so-and-so fix her door. If that's your attitude, you probably don't have the gift of service. (laughs) Right? So attitude plays into it. You, just, you love helping. Your Sunday school teacher is getting ready for the lesson. You run in there. Uh, they need the podium moved. They need their board moved. They need, the, they need water. What, what can I get you? What can I do? And you're just, you're running around helping. Uh, we have a service down in the core. And you call Kevin. Can I come down Saturday night? I want to set up the core. I mean, you just love doing stuff like that. Then you probably have the gift of service. What's he mentioned next? Teaching. Now, I mentioned last week that pastor-teacher is mentioned in Ephesians 4. Because... If you're a pastor, you're told to instruct the body 
in the Word. So teaching goes with it. But that certainly doesn't mean that everybody in the church with the gift of teaching is also a pastor. Now, if teaching is your gift, you love reading, you love research, you want to find out everything you can about a subject matter or a book that you're studying, uh, you get your hands on different things to, to study, you collect your research, you collect your information, you, you organize it, you're, just, you're passionate about learning. You want to learn everything you can about that lesson you're going to be teaching this week. You just want to learn, 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 learn. And then, of course, you want to organize it in such a way that you can communicate it to others. It's not just research for the sake of research. But, but you, you, love the, you love the study. You love that diligent work. Sitting at your kitchen table, locked in your study at home, just learning everything you can about that passage that you're going to be teaching. You love research. And again, you love doing all this so you can then turn around and communicate it and be a blessing to the body of Christ. If that's what you love, you probably have the gift of teaching. Now, can you... Can you be in a Sunday school class teaching if that's not your gift? Sure. People, people do, they, you know, they read through their quarterly and they're, they're able to do it. But if, if your gift, your spiritual gift is teaching, boy, that, that's just, you're, you're not just doing it because, oh, we got a vacancy. I mean, it's your passion. You love doing that research and communicating God's Word. And you want to see, your desire is to see members grow in their knowledge of the Word. Uh, next one he lists here. Is exhortation. That can also be a form of teaching. Usually, exhortation carries the idea of encouragement uh, to press on in the truth of God and in the faith. Uh, there is that admonishment, that encouragement that goes with the teaching. You know, some people are just born encouragers. That's their gift. They exhort, they admonish, they encourage. Come on, folks. The lesson is saying that let's, let's get it done this week. Let's do it. I'll meet you down here Tuesday morning. We're going to do this. You know, come on. They're, they're just encouragers, exhorters. That's, that's the gift of exhortation. It's, there's almost a cheerleading aspect to it. You're, you're very encouraging of folks, but you're exhorting them in faithfulness to the Lord. Uh, you're out there leading the pack. Uh, anyway, that's, if that's you, sort of the cheerleader, exhortation. It's probably your gift. Then he mentions giving. Giving. 
If God has blessed you with resources to give, you love giving, God bless you. Where would the body of Christ be without people who give? Now, folks, all of us are to tithe, to give that tenth. Every believer ought to do that out of a heart of gratitude. But the person with the gift of giving just even loves to do more. You may want to help out a family in need. You love giving to people going on mission trips. Um, You may give extra on the building fund. You just see all kinds of needs around. You just, you love writing a check to some of those needs. You just, you want to be a blessing to folks by giving of your resources then you have the gift of giving. Now, let me say, you don't have to be rich to have the gift of giving. Right? Somebody poor can have the gift of giving. They may not have much to give, but they love giving. Folks, Romans 12 here mentions that. As a spiritual gift that God gives in the body of Christ. Then the next one. I told you we're not spending a whole lot of time on any of them. But leadership. Leadership is made up of two words. Before and stand. Literally standing before. Standing before the people And giving direction. Now what does he say about here in this verse. If leadership is your gift. Be diligent about it. Be diligent about it. That literally means do it. Do it with care. Do it with haste. Don't lag behind in it. And then he mentions here the gift of Mercy. You just, you have a heart for hurting people. Whether it's visiting people in the nursing homes or in the hospital, uh, going by a family's home, if you hear of one of them hurting or going through some big trial in their life, you, you have a heart for people who are struggling. And, and um, You want to be there to minister to them and show God's loving care to them. That's the gift of mercy. I would assume a lot of people in the church have that gift. Uh, It's believed, as I say, not not all the lists are exhaustive. It's generally believed that this list here in Romans is a very basic list that any congregation would need to carry out its ministry. I I don't know how you could function as a congregation without having these right here. Sure, seven's the number of completion in the Bible. Mm -hmm. Sure. Like I say, there's 19 in all when you put them all together, but it's generally believed that the Romans list is is the 
probably the most foundational of all the, the list. Uh, let, me say, let me say a few words about a couple of others that I um, mentioned here. Uh, for those in the church, gift of leadership. There's some uh, common opinions of leadership. Uh, common opinions that if you hold the position, you are one. Is that fact or fiction? Fiction. Fiction. If only that were true. Uh, many pastors have been disappointed by people who get into a leadership position in the church to lead a ministry and once they're in that position to be over that ministry, they have no idea what to do with it. Um, so, just because you hold the position doesn't mean you are one. That's a common misunderstanding. Another misunderstanding of this is that all leaders are extroverts. And that's not true either. Timothy would be an example of a leader who was an introvert. Paul had to admonish him to uh, kind of strengthen his courage and fortitude and lead. A third misconception is that a leader is always the speaker. That's not true either. Think about Moses. Was he the leader? Yeah. Was he a spokesman? No. And so who did God give him? Aaron to be the spokesman. Exactly. A fourth misconception is that a leader is always a good administrator. Oftentimes a a good leader needs a good administrator to put his vision into practice. Uh, Moses was a leader. He tried to do too much on his own. He sank. Jethro had to tell him, hey, get some other people around you. Another example would be the apostles in Acts chapter 6. The church was suffering and deacons came onto the scene to help them. Uh, Common problems with leadership. Leadership is not something you bestow on someone just out of obligation. We might say Mr. So-and-so has been a deacon for all of his life. We owe it to him to make him the chairman. Uh, True leaders can rely too heavily on their gift of leadership and not be dependent on the Holy Spirit. Folks, leadership is influence. Uh, John Maxwell tells the story of Claude in his first church out of seminary. Uh, John Maxwell uh, went to it Went to his first, it, they, he was a Wesleyan pastor. Went to his first board meeting. And uh, Claude said, uh, Pastor, would you lead us in prayer? Get us started? 
He did. He said, Amen. Uh, Claude said, uh, Miss Helen, the ladies need a Sunday school teacher. I, you know, God's put on my heart. You're that person. You believe so, Claude? <laughs> you can do it. You can do it, Helen. Oh, I'll do it, Claude, if you say so. <laughs> he went around the room, and he was just really orchestrating things. Then he looked at, at uh, John and said, you can dismiss us in prayer. And John said, okay. He quickly saw who was the leader in that church, Claude. Uh, he went around to Claude's farm before the next monthly meeting. Said, Claude, have you noticed the signage that we have at church? There is no way we're going to attract anybody in this community. When you look at our broken down signage, it's not even painted hardly anymore. What's, what's that saying? Claude said, preacher, you think we ought to get that? freshened up I sure do I'll look into it preacher and Claude have you been down in the basement under the sanctuary Uh, there's so much space down there and we're needing all these Sunday school rooms and fellowship space but it's standing in four inches of water and there's little frogs down there jumping we got to get that fixed Claude said you know what you're right preacher I hadn't thought about that uh, he just mentioned, kept going down the list. Next monthly meeting, Claude said, Preacher, would you open up the meeting? Sure will. Opened up the meeting, said, Amen. Claude said to the group, You know, have y'all noticed the signage around here? We're trying to attract people and things look broken down and old and like we don't care for anything anymore around here and the paint peeling on the front door. We got to get that fixed. Claude, if you say so, we need to get that fixed. I say so. Well, let's make a motion right now and get that done. And by the way, while I'm on the subject of the building grounds, have y'all been down into the basement? It's four inches standing in water and little frogs jumping around. Well, Claude, we got to get that fixed. Well, I believe so. Somebody make a motion. Got everything done. They went through the agenda. He looked to the preacher, said, Preacher, would you dismiss us in prayer? John Maxwell said the whole time he stayed at that church, every month, all he had to do is go around to Claude's farm and tell Claude what they need to be doing. Because Claude was the leader in that congregation, and he would get it done. What's that say about leadership? Leadership is influence. Leadership is influence. Uh, I mentioned administration. I would be surprised if there wouldn't be a number of you in here tonight. Maybe that's your gift. The word literally refers to governments. Uh, We hear a government, somebody say, this current administration. Right? Right? I think where we go wrong with this gift is thinking that the administrator is the leader. 
Again, this may be the case, but I'm convinced usually it's not. An administrator is usually someone who enjoys working under a good leader. The leader sets the direction and the vision, casts the vision. The administrator is the one who goes out there and puts it all together, the nuts and bolts. Most administrators don't want to be the leader. What they want to do is make the phone calls, handle the paperwork, see that everything is done properly and in good order. They don't want to be out front doing it or leading. In your Sunday school class, if you're the one who loves making all the arrangements for class outings and so forth, and that's your passion, you probably have the gift of administration. Uh, on and on I could go with all of that. If you have the gift of administration, you need to be satisfied to realize you'll probably never get a lot of attention in the public way because administrators are doing their work behind the scenes, the phone calls, the letters, calling the contractor, doing this and doing that. Uh, Again, it's different than leadership, but the two are complementary. So again, you look at these lists, and then you, you know, we could go and look at 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, and we could see the gift of wisdom or discernment that God gives people, good head on their shoulders. Have you ever known people in a church? Everybody goes to them, they just know so-and-so. They're not a teacher, but they're somebody that people run to in the congregation because they got a good head on their shoulders. That's the gift of wisdom that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14. The gift of wisdom and discernment. Uh, I know everybody in churches today wants to know about the gift of tongues. I happen to think the gift of tongues, we see it in the book of Acts, it's, it's not the private prayer language that charismatic congregations make it today. Because the gifts are not for you. The gifts are for the body. And you look at tongues in the book of Acts, glossolalia, it was foreign languages. Because as they spoke in tongues, all of these people who had come into Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost, Feast of Pentecost was well attended because of the time of the year that it was at. The easy travel, the weather in the Greek and Roman Empire at the time, it was well attended. People had come in all, from all around the world back then to the Festival of Pentecost. And in these areas they came from, as they heard the when the tongues of flame and fire came on them, they were hearing the gospel preached in their own language. Now, here's, here's a little twist to that gift. Let's say today uh, you're super good at language foreign languages. Maybe you ought to go down here to Wycliffe, Bible translators, Jars and Wycliffe and all down at Waxhaw. 
where they're making translations of the Bible into new languages, and that's what you're good at. This is a different twist on that gift, but maybe you have the gift of tongues. I loved Greek in college. God just enabled me to just breeze right through it in college. I had a couple of classmates say, Scott's got the gift of tongues. Uh, foreign language, the ability to learn language. Uh, again, I don't think it's what the charismatics have made it today. Gift of healings in, in, in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, that's another one people want to know about. It's interesting that in, in that text where it shows up, it's healings, plural. The doctor, the nurse, the pharmacist. You reckon those are people with that gift? I think so. We want to think of it as as somebody that's able to touch somebody, lay hands on and pray, and they're miraculously healed. God may choose to heal that way. Usually he doesn't, but God can. But God may give you the gift of healings, the healings different, different ways it's carried out. Uh, you feel that call to go to nursing school, to study medicine. You want to use your gifts. People come in to see you at the hospital or doctor's office and, and you want to apply cures. You have a passion for people to be well. You may have the gift of healings. So practical ways that... that What I'm saying is I don't think we need to let charismatics corner the market on some of those gifts. Because I don't think they deal with them properly. But anyway, you're a gifted child. I want you to see that. Now, I want to move on. Like I say, I didn't want to spend too much time on any one gift because there's just not time if we were going to go extensively through all 19. But any questions before we move on? You what? Prophecy? Well, in, in the biblical era, it was receiving the revelations from God that would be written down become scripture but we're not running down to Lifeway today and buying a new copy of the Bible every week because new books are being added to the Bible we believe at least I hope you do I hope you believe in a closed canon closed canon means our Bible is complete God has given us what God in His wisdom determined for us to have. 66 books here. Uh, there's not a number 67 coming along. And then when number 67 comes, you run down to the life where you got to buy a new Bible with another book after Revelation. And then, you know, maybe next year God adds still another book, 68 to it. So you got to run out and buy another Bible. No, we don't believe that. We believe in a closed canon. 
But until the canon was closed, the gift of prophecy, the prophets were those that God was giving the revelations to. Today, it's the one who, who stands up. Different from a teacher, a teacher who wants to analyze a text, teach it to a congregation, teach it to your Sunday school class. The one with the gift of prophecy is, is the one who just stands up and passionately preaches. There's not a lot of teaching. He's proclaiming God's truth. He's being faithful to the text. But he's just not really a teacher. You've heard preachers that are both, right? Some te- uh, preachers that are teachers. Uh, others that they just tell you, I'm not a preacher. I'm going to get up and preach God's word. And they do get up and preach God's word. And they're very faithful at it. But they're not a teacher. And the way they handle the text, you see that they're not a teacher. But they are, they are proclaiming the word nonetheless. Gift of prophecy. What else before I move on? All all of these gifts, again, if we were to go back and look at what is said in the New Testament about the gifts. if, If you're a Christian, you have one. On the day of your redemption, the day of your conversion, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit, baptized and sealed with the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 1.13. And then with the Holy Spirit, He he gave you a gift. He, He gave you a gift to use for... body of Christ. Again, your gift is not for you. You get pleasure out of it. You get enjoyment out of it. You you have a sense of fulfillment out of it when you know your gift and you use it for the good of the body. So yes, there, there is that element that you get out of it. But by its very nature, it's not for you. It's for the body. It's for the body of Christ. And the spiritual gifts are the way in which God has designed for His church to function. One person or a couple of people are not to do it all. You have pastors and deacons and leaders and so forth in the church. But everybody... Just like your human body made up of many different members. That's how the body is. And every member who is a born-again child of God ought to be praying to discover what their spiritual gift is and then use it for the sake of the local church that God has put you in. Everybody has a ministry to the body of Christ and a mission to the world. A mission to the world is reaching the lost. But a ministry to the body of Christ is all the different gifts, finding out what your gift is, developing it. And folks, that's important too. Whatever your gift is, 
doesn't mean that from the day you receive it, you don't grow in it any. For example, if your gift is teaching, the more you research, the more you learn, the more you teach, hopefully you become better equipped at it. Whatever your gift is, the more you do it, the more you exercise it, the better you get at it. It's through the gifts that God has given to His church of how His church is ministered to. I think of all the people around here who work on committees, finance, personnel. Now, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know it's true that sometimes in the rush to get things done, we might stick a warm body into somewhere, right? That happens. And maybe you've been guilty of that or I've been guilty of that or plugging ourselves in saying, I'll serve there. It's not really my area, but nobody else is willing to do it, so I'll do it. We know that happens. But how much better is it for you to learn what your gift is? And then you see in the church where that gift can benefit and you plug into those areas. And when everybody's doing that, the church runs smoothly. And it should be that nobody gets exhausted, nobody gets tired. Everybody's doing their share. Everybody's pulling together. Then you're being blessed by using your gift. It's fulfilling to you. You're being a blessing to others. The body of Christ is being built up. It's the way that God has designed His church to function through gifts. I know in modern society, a lot of times we just run out and hire somebody. But that's, that's not always God's will. I think God gives a local body who they need to get ministry done in their church. God gives us everybody we need to get the, get the work done. The thing is, obedience, will we all step up to the plate and do it? Okay. Now, I know it's late, but when we think about our mission to the world, turn to Matthew 28. Matthew 28. Nineteen through twenty, because folks, this is God's plan too. Okay, this is God's plan too. What do we call this? The Great Commission. Somebody read verse nineteen and twenty. Who would do that? Any organization or institution justifies its existence only insofar as it carries out the purpose for which it was founded. What if tonight you walked into Food Line down the street 
and said, Where's your bread? Where's your milk? Where's your food? And the manager said, Oh, we're sorry. We don't carry food any longer. Can we interest you in a pair of shoes? Isn't your name Food Line? Your sign says Food Line. Yeah, we don't sell food anymore. That'd be crazy, wouldn't it? Say what? (laughs) Chewing on shoe leather. Who are we? We are the body of Christ. Obviously, we have a mission to one, a ministry to one another that we've just talked about. But we have a mission to the world. There's a lost world out there who needs to hear the gospel. And again, the way God has chosen to do things in the world is to send out into the darkness those who have seen the light. Christians go into the world to share the good news. That's God's plan. Just like his plan in the church, teachers, pastors, evangelists, leaders, administrators, those who give, those who show mercy, those who have the gift of help. Just like that's how the church functions within these walls. God has likewise designed it that we reach a lost world by those who are in the church as believers. We go to them. We go and we tell. Again, folks, that's how God's designed it. Uh, James Montgomery Boyce says, I'm sure you've noticed in your study of the New Testament that nearly all of the resurrection appearances of Jesus end with Jesus telling those present to announce the good news. The New Testament indicates that there were at least ten appearances of the risen Lord plus another some years later to the Apostle Paul. In eight of these appearance accounts, Christ gives an explicit commission and in five he commands his followers to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Boyce goes on to write, Matthew does not end his gospel with the resurrection itself. Even more striking, he does not include an account of Christ's ascension. Instead, he ends the gospel with the Lord's great commission. Apparently, it was evident to him, as it should be to us, that the life and death of Jesus Christ should affect our speech and conduct. What's Jesus say in these verses? He describes his power. Where is his power? Where does he say his power is? In heaven and where else? On earth. And he has some power? No. What's he say? All power. All power. All power has been given to him. I'm I'm having to do a lot of scanning because we don't have time to cover everything tonight uh, that I wanted to cover. So what is his plan? His plan, he says, go into all nations. This is the second all. All power or all authority has been given to him. And so what's he say? 
go into all nations. All nations. And do what? What are we to do? He says, make disciples. Folks, now, that's the imperative in this text. The imperative is to make disciples. Now, uh, in Greek grammar, the word go, go and make disciples, can also take on the force of the imperative. So it's not wrong to talk about the go being a command too. But, but it, it borrows the imperative nature from this. That makes sense? And really this assumes this, right? Going and, and being a witness and evangelizing. Because you're not going to be able to make disciples of those you haven't witnessed to and won to the Lord. So this assumes going and witnessing and evangel- evangelization, doesn't it? It assumes that. As you go. And, and, and that's how most will translate it. Like I say, it's not wrong to make it borrow the force of the imperative. Yeah. And, and purely that is the way it should be translated. As you go, make disciples. As you're going about in your life, as you're going about in your everyday Christian life, wherever God sends you, what is your business to a lost world? Witnessing, evangelizing people, and then discipling them. Folks, again, all the Gospels close with this. The Lord didn't just leave us hanging without a purpose. Uh, very clearly, the Lord has a lost world on His heart. And so, as we go, we are to evangelize. Now, we do that in different ways, don't we? Some might have block parties. Some might just like sitting down at lunch with business co-workers, sharing your testimony. Uh, Some might like knocking on doors. Uh, All kinds of ways, tons of ways to evangelize people, right? And we're all different in that. We have different tastes and different strengths. Some are more confrontational than others. Uh, But we have this command on our lives, all of us. It's God's command to us. It's the great commission. It's not the great suggestion. It's the great commission. And remember what I said to you last week? What D. James Kennedy, you remember him? Uh, Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. He wrote Evangelism Explosion. Uh, He said that he reminded uh, his church all the time that Jesus said, if you follow me, he said to his disciples, follow me and I will make you to be fishers of men. D. James Kennedy would say, if you're not being a fisher of men, 
then who are you following? You're not following Jesus. Because Jesus said, if you follow me, here's what I'm going to do with your life. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. That's pretty much in your face, isn't it? What, he, what D. James Kennedy says. But is he right? He's right, isn't he? It's not the great suggestion. It's not the great option. It's the great commission. And we know in the scripture that as we go, in, in Acts 1-8, Jesus talked about where were they originally? Jerusalem. Then Judea, that was their wider area. And then Samaria. And folks, Samaria was the place no Jew wanted to go through Samaria. They hated the Samaritans. The Samaritans were half-breeds. When, when uh, Assyria came in and conquered the northern kingdom, the ten tribes of Israel that made up the northern kingdom, when Assyria came in and conquered them, uh, from then on in Old Testament history, you basically read about the southern kingdom. The southern kingdom, the two tribes in the southern kingdom... They went into exile in Babylon for 70 years and then they came back. But the ten tribes, the Assyrians, overran them, killed them, deported a lot of them and then, and then brought a bunch of foreigners in to marry those who, were, who had stayed there. And so they became half-breeds is what they were known as, the Samaritans. They lost their Jewish purity so that when the two southern tribes came back to rebuild the temple after the Babylonian captivity, the people from Samaria came down and said, we'll help you. And the people of the southern tribes said, no thanks, we don't want your help because you're not true Jews anymore. So there was a lot of hostility between these groups. Jesus said, go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. This would be going to the places, maybe the people you would prefer not to go to. And then the uttermost ends of the earth. So we see these ever-widening circles. So Christians today in churches, what... Does Jesus have a world vision? Sure. We start where we are. We don't want to just send, we don't want to just send groups to Africa and Europe and all over the place. If we're not willing to reach people at home, to be lost in Concord is just as severe as being lost in South Africa. So we don't want to ignore our home. We don't want to ignore our region. We don't want to ignore those places and those peoples we just as soon not go to. But then we've also got to think in terms, Jesus has world vision. We've got to get out to the world, the nations, and be witnesses. And make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, that's the discipleship process. We don't just go and make converts. We make disciples. But the promise is that He gives us, He's with us to the end of the age.
what he commands us to do, we're not alone. We're not doing it in our own power. We have his power and his presence with us. So again, inside the walls of the church, you have a spiritual gift. And I hope you're using that to build up Pitts Baptist Church. Because we need you. If you don't know what your gift is, I hope you will be praying about it, studying the gifts, and then using it. And then don't forget that all around you every day, to those who aren't in our church, to those in the community who aren't in any church, you have a mission to the world beginning here. To evangelize people, to witness to people, to disciple Folks, it's why he's left us here. If the goal was just to get saved and, that, and God was done with us, then, you know, it would make sense the moment we were saved, the Lord just take us on to heaven. I mean, if that's all we were here for, we get saved, going to heaven. Boom. God say, I'm done with that and bringing you home. You got saved. No, he leaves us here to reach other people. It's God's plan. A mission to the body of Christ, uh, excuse me, a ministry to the body of Christ and a mission to the world. And this is something that every single one of us are to get plugged into, all of us. Uh, Don't just, please, don't just be a pew sitter. And most of you, as I look in here tonight, most of you are not pew sitters, and I'm grateful for that. Um, Jesus said, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out more workers into his fields, that the laborers are few. There's a lot to be done. Any questions before we close tonight? I think I skipped over more than I covered. I had prepared way too much for tonight. I do that sometimes, don't I? You have a ministry and a mission. A ministry and a mission. A ministry and a mission. Can I get you thinking about that all the time? A ministry and a mission. A ministry and a mission. And let me go back to something else a minute about your ministry, though. Your spiritual gift. Just because you say my spiritual gift might be this. If somebody in the church needs something, Hey, Jim, would you come help me do such a... No, I'm not going to do that because my gift is such and such. Is that how we should be? No. By the way, folks, try something new. I, we, we have at least one spiritual gift, but who knows? Through doing something else, you might find your, God's gifted you for that too. 